Welcome back to the Spinner Rack here at the Marvel New Universe Comics Podcast. We are your hosts, Stephen with Star Brand number nine, and Andy with codename Spitfire 12. We've made it Ooh. to the number 12s, at least, except for Star Brand, who sadly didn't get published enough. <laughs> Falling behind, Star Brand. Are you okay back there, Star Brand? Yeah, I'll, I'll catch up. Don't worry. Don't worry. <laughs> Starbrand was never heard from again. <laughs> uh, so yeah, back again to talk about the new universe. Um, started in 1986, the new universe was an imprint from Marvel Comics dedicated to a more grounded and less fantastic approach to comics and world building. The idea was the world outside your window with real-time progress and reasonably realistic technology, physics, astronomy, and biology most of the time. Um, eight new comics. not the chemistry that's all completely phony yeah sorry <laughs> totally <laughs> uh eight new books launched in one month set in our world 1986 now as the stories progressed to 1987 the world still largely doesn't know about paranormals except a few secret agencies uh so with the new universe podcast you can follow along with us each week which you should uh, as we go through every comic in the order they hit the spinner rack or follow individual series if you already have a favorite uh, a lot of recap and fun issues as well uh, we have a website kickersinc.com for which you can find a bunch of things including our various sweepstakes still available new contest maybe when we start doing season three uh, so uh, we're also taking slogans for the podcast as the new universe was looking for slogans for the new universe, which we talked about last issue quite a bit, right? Or was it two ago? I forget. Mm. Um, if you have Twitter, at uh, Kickers Inc. And if you're on Facebook, there's a fan page, the Marvel Comics New Universe fans, which we do not run, but we do enjoy. A lot of fun over there. This week, I'll be covering Starbrand. Everyman Ken Connell was given a power called the Starbrand under mysterious circumstances. Wanting to help others, but also afraid to expose himself, Connell struggles to grow up and find use for the brand's unlimited power while dating many, many available women. You know, in Pittsburgh in 1986, there were good times. <laughs> it seems like the way to go. Story number nine. Tormented by the death of a young boy he could not save, Ken Connell must come to grips with the fact that, as great as the star brand power is, some forces in the universe, universe are even greater. To try and help him through his troubles is Night Mask. Sure. Our famous uh, uh, therapy-based hero. Written by Carrie Bates, illustrated by Keith Giffen. And a shorter version, what if Kenneth Connell used his powers the way a comic book superhero does? Guest starring Night Mask. Okay. I have to say, I, I remember when we talked about last issue of Starbrand predicting that we would not see this kid again. And I was way wrong. <laughs> <laughs> would not have guessed the way that we're seeing him. That was definitely wackier than expected, but I won't spoil it until we get into the issue. <laughs> um, but yeah, my job is covering Codename Spitfire, formerly known as Spitfire and the Troubleshooters. 
Uh, R.I.P. Professor Only Jenny's... half of them. Well, yeah. I mean, really, though. <laughs> it's the hopes and dreams that died, really. <laughs> Why is it always the hopes and dreams that died? <laughs> Professor Jenny Swenson, uh, her c- career also R.I.P., um, stole and then destroyed her father's advanced max armor. Uh, briefly went to prison and finally got herself shanghaied by the CIA. Uh, she's still Spitfire and now she has a code name. <laughs> um, so this issue, uh, number 12, Jenny's father's personality is programmed into her new Spitfire armor, max armor. Uh, for her to succeed in her CIA mission, she must destroy that program, and with it, the last vestige of her dead father's presence. Uh, that doesn't sound good. <laughs> she loves the CIA that much. Uh, written by Len Kaminsky, penciled by Javier Salteres, and inked by Jim Fern. Uh, the short version, Spitfire's second mission, involves a computer based on her own father. So, we'll see. It, it's It's wacky. And you should definitely stick around for it. <laughs> it's it's interesting. Um, Starbrand got a letters page too, uh, and actually a pretty long one, which is rare for us. Uh, so we'll we'll take a peek at that. Probably real letters, I think. We'll see. Um, they certainly, you know, could be. And uh, they, yeah. So Starbrand nine uh, coming out <clears throat> one year after. <laughs> Starbrand number one, and we this is the first letters page. So it covers letters that came in after the first issue. Why not? <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah, someone had to clean out their desk at some point. And I guess no, I don't know. I think they well, they said that like a lot of times you would books would run long and uh they wouldn't have room for a letters page and everything. So yeah, it seems like sometimes, you know, back in the era of letters pages, they would send like advanced copies out to people and like get comments back. And sometimes the letters would be from like comics people, but like there's ways to yeah. do it. But yeah, there was a yeah, there was a whole like ecosystem called the letters hack. People who were always writing letters and trying to get into letters pages. And um, yeah, I can. they were, you know. It, it's yeah, fandom uh, a few years ago before everyone went into electronic mail. I mean, you would now they would, these would be the people who had blogs or com- comment on uh, YouTube videos or something. So, yeah, I mean, you know, it kind of goes back and forth, but probably it's connected in, you know, also to there were people uh, doing fan fiction as uh, amateur press alliances mm, where you'd okay. have sort of a group of friends and you'd all try to. Re- write a couple or draw a couple of pages and then you just photocopy it up and send it around to your circle of friends Hmm. sorry i was just thinking about that the other day yeah fun fact i've been printed in letters pages for invincible and the walking dead wow (laughs) i didn't keep any of either of the issues (laughs) but one of them by name was actually misattributed so that was funny thank you mr robot uh anyway have a good doctor dr robot thank you I was in a legion of superheroes once. Nice. The uh, you want to find that? Like uh, I asked them like a million questions, and they just you know picked one. Uh, 
jumping on into a uh, star brand number nine, which came out September, uh, well, it's cover dated September, 1987. And we believe hit the stands on June 16th, 1987. And they'll recap a lot of the last issue in this issue. So I'll just hold off on it. Um, it is a wacky one. It starts uh, at the cover, um, which is Star Brand versus Star Brand. And yeah, we have a picture of Ken in his Star Brand outfit uh, slugging it out with also Ken in a somewhat more, what was it say, comic booky outfit? And yeah. uh, it, he's got those weird Captain America boots, you know, with the no, oh, yeah, the flare thing on top. I don't know what that's called. I don't know what that's called either. So it's credited to on the on the side Higgins and Wyacek after Kirby, and I'm afraid your beloved podcasters could not uh, immediately recognize which issue of a Kirby comic it's taken from, but it's. Perhaps all of them in some ways. <laughs> um, Big meaty swinging fists. Yeah, I mean, it is clobbering time in the Starbrand book. And down at the bottom, we have a little uh, insert of Night Mask saying, of course, it's a dream. And uh, the banner guest starring Night Mask. The uh, New Universe logo in red. Pink. Mine's kind of pink, like hot pink. Magenta, we'll call it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so inside we have a multi-panel page. We can't decide on what the cover is homaging nor the color of the words. <laughs> <laughs> it's the theater of the mind when you come to a podcast. You know, right. we have to like paint a picture with our words, even though we don't really know what we're describing or what, <laughs> and agree on what it looks like. <laughs> hey, we don't get paid for this. Okay. So we open up and there's a... Uh, night scene with a suburban house and you can kind of if you know what to look for go back and see a shadow of a flying man uh, on the lawn and a narration box saying it's greater pittsburgh and it next panels move inside and there's a couple of word balloons myron myron and until we get inside, and there's our friend Myron. Well, Ken's friend Myron, who we haven't seen in a few issues, um, but he is there and uh, sleep. And Ken presumably is waking him up, and Myron grumbles a bit, but is like, "You must have a real good reason for being here, right? It's only four thirty-seven in the morning. There has to be a crisis of life or death, right?" Some catastrophe that threatens to level Pittsburgh to the ground by morning. Am I right? Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> so, why, he, uh, he says, why is Ken breaking, Connell breaking into his best friend's house and disturbing him? Best friend? Okay. Yeah, seems a little iffy. Myron's got a high opinion of himself. I need to talk to you, Myron. I, I can't sleep. Myron makes fun of him. 
So this second page is the splash and it's uh, Myron waking up and uh, looking very Woody Allen now, as uh, I think we said before. And Ken is uh, sitting there hovering in sort of a yoga pose, yogi pose, with his legs crossed. And this being the splash, we have the title down below in quotation marks, where walks the true believer. And the credits, Carrie Bates, writer. Uh, we've seen his work a lot in Spitfire and the Troubleshooters, mostly. Keith Giffen, again, at Penciler. And Bob Wycheck at Inking. Um, this is uh, great, again, to have Keith Giffen back. Uh, I, I keep thinking, oh, this will be the last one we get out of him. But um, we do keep switching anchors around. It was Vinnie Coletta over in Justice and uh, maybe Al Williamson and, and the other books. Um, I forget who, so who did it in Night Mask. But um, we are back. And he uh, starts off with is, is sort of, the same style he's been using in the other books. Um, this it's a little expressionistic, a lot of deep shadows, but you know it's this sort of modern style. Um, he uh, so Ken is talking to Myron and he's saying that he's having nightmares and there he's waking up in a cold sweat and he can't sleep and he's you know, Myron's uh, assuming like so is the star brand the problem and. Then continue um, responds that you know how tough it's been for me all along to live with the star brand's power from day to day. So now it's screwing over my nights too. In Myron invites him to to start at the beginning, and a few weeks back, um, he, he goes through the whole thing where he basically has a motorcycle accident on the highway, flies off. And meets a, a little kid, a 10-year-old boy named Tad. And um, didn't take him long to let on. He saw me do my thing. He said he knew I could fly. Did not kill him. So don't, let, <laughs> don't think that it's guilt that's bothering me, Myron, because I didn't kill him, probably. <laughs> so he, did, he talks about how they found out that... Um, talking to his parents who he stayed with for a few days that the kid had a terminal heart condition um, based on um, birth defect and that the town blamed this local chemical company that was dumping toxic waste into the water. And they said, uh, you know, the kid could die any day, any day. And so let's see, you know, like, well, you'll die soon. Then I'll tell you about the star brand. Sure. And Myron's shocked, but yeah, I explained all about the star brand, where it came from, how I ended up with it. You, you don't actually believe your own story though, Ken. So I'm not quite sure what you told me. <laughs> I'm um, not sure you gave him that much detail in the comic either, but yeah, I mean, yeah, that's true. Um, he was more interested in just using it. So oh, we can fly. He, uh, they, they put on some uh, ski masks and fly around. And, uh, but then he, you know, Ted starts telling him he, he felt like one of his favorite comic book heroes. And that's when the trouble started. Ted soon is trying to talk me into using the star brand on the toxic waste site. And I tried to explain why I couldn't, I couldn't 
tell the world about this power anyway. But then he's like the kids holding up uh, issues of Fantastic Four and Savage Leatherneck Raiders. <laughs> Sounds a little risque for a 10 year old. Not sure that's appropriate, but okay. <laughs> and he just couldn't kept going on about how his comic book heroes devoted their fantastic powers to helping others. And the next morning, the kid leapt into a coma. So on went the ski cap again, and off I went. And the uh, toxic waste dump got nuked, basically. I think that's the cover of Fantastic Four, where it's like the Fantastic Four need to save Hitler from Nick Fury, which is kind <laughs> of a funny one. <laughs> I was going to say it does look like Hitler down there in the bottom, but I didn't think that I, I didn't remember an appearance of by Hitler in the Fantastic Four. But... Yeah, yeah, I remember that's part of the burn run. <laughs> I see. Save Hitler. Nice. It just throws your expectations all off out of whack, right? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I lied. Oh, I just got this part out. I'll be laughing for about another 10 minutes if I let <laughs> So uh, Myron's like, uh, were there any witnesses? Uh, not after I was done. I mean, no, I don't. Think <laughs> totally didn't uh, nuke any of those guards. <laughs> It uh, happened too fast, Myron. And uh, next thing you know, I'm in uh, visiting the kid in the hospital. And here I thought I was, in, you know, the most powerful guy in the world. But this, you know, I feel powerless trying to help this 10-year-old kid. And But I told him about the toxic waste. And he smiled. I could tell he was proud of me. Myron, I felt like a total washout. But I guess in the kid's eyes, I guess I... I was the sort of superhero he always wanted so desperately to believe in. Starbrand or no, you're still just a man, Ken Connell. Mm. So the totally not setting up what's happening later in the comic, right? Like <laughs> the kid thinks I'm a superhero, but Aaron says you're just a man. Almost mm. like two different people. What? <laughs> oh, man. Two sides. <laughs> Punching each other. All right, no. <laughs> it's getting too far ahead. Sorry. Well, it was on the cover. So, I mean, what's that's fair. So then they have like a panel of a funeral in like a little cemetery. And we have another shout out to Little Boo Boo. I do not know what was going yeah, figure on. Figure out what's up with that. <laughs> Someday, Keith, I will hunt you down and ask you this question. Like a so, leatherneck raider, we will hunt you down, Giffen. <laughs> Also, I need your copy of Leatherneck Raiders. Call it what you want. Fate, the will of God, but whatever it is, it's something we mortals don't get the option to change. Try telling yourself things like that over and over at a funeral, Myron. Mm. You know, Ken, maybe you should find a, a priest instead of a rabbi. And just, just a thought there. Mm. I felt we were, it was the loss, the pain, and the guilt. The guilt. Um... Uh, so, yeah, Myron's like, yeah, you do need therapy, honestly. Um, so, uh, yeah. uh, he has an idea, and he looks through some journals he's got laying around, a therapy today in a Geshult Times, and he says that he'd uh, heard something um, that might help him from a 
uh, article by a doctor named Ballad who runs a private clinic in Georgetown that specializes in dream research. And um, a little techno mumble jumbo. And then Ken's like, in English, Myron, Ballad might be able to help. Ironically, when he says in English, like he's got a finger pointing at this page of um, from this journal and it's all that lip or lorem ipsum or yeah the latin nonsense like filler yeah which i didn't even realize was a thing at the time i thought that was a few years later when everyone was testing out their printers but there you go apparently not oh page next page um <laughs> an amusing moment of ken once again as he says oh, i've really got to start paying more attention to maps where am i you can kind of make out the uh, District of Columbia, and then he's like, "Which side of it's Georgetown on again?" What did Myron say? So he just lands. It's a foggy day, and uh, hails a cab and uh, heads out to Georgetown. So he gets there, and by the end of the page, he is talking to Doctor Lucian Ballad. Ballad, um, it's in such deep shadow; it looks like he's growing a beard. Yeah, like an evil twin or something. <laughs> <laughs> that's a night mask reference in case you haven't been following along I bet Dr. Ballad in fact does have an evil voodoo twin but he didn't have a beard indeed uh, so as Tullius I mean Lucian continues uh, so yes I believe we your therapist was right we may be able to help you and uh, he's he's you know, Ken's like, I, you know, he was a good kid, but I don't understand why it's so traumatic that, you know, he passed away and I can't sleep anymore. And, uh, well, you know, let's look into your dreams. Maybe that'll uh, provide the answer. And he, I mean, he's, uh, he's not wrong. That's the whole premise of Night Mask is investigating people's promise, problems in their dreams and trying to find solutions, some connection that they didn't see or something in their waking mind. So your dream consciousness holds the key, Mr. Connell. And uh, Ken thinks for a moment that, uh, you know, if they investigate his dreams, maybe they'll hear something about a star brand. But he's like, you know, that won't mean anything to them. So I'm sure it'll be fine. Yeah, okay. Seems, they, seems reasonable. Yeah, I mean, why not? Um Ballad seems to be hypnotizing him to fall asleep, which uh, also seems pretty reasonable if you're um, night mask to to have have a way of uh, kind of putting the patients out. We all know night mask's true power is the ability to fall asleep on command. But yes, <laughs> um, so then we have Ke Ken uh, lying down in on the couch in this room and. Uh, Ballad is talking to Keith uh, Remsen. Subject uh, 14C is under. Keith, are you prepared? Um, uh, the auto reconditioner from Pittsburgh, Connell Ken. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, he's, uh, Keith isn't too excited by, uh, you know, the idea of talking to an auto body guy from Pittsburgh, but... Uh, Think of all the bumpers that he has straightened. <laughs> he doesn't appreciate anything. He's, uh, he's talking about um, being a little tired himself. He didn't get much sleep the night before. 
So hopefully this guy's, whatever this guy's problem is, hopefully it'll be enough to keep uh, Nightmask occupied and the guy's dream consciousness and not just bored to death. <laughs> so the um, Nightmask enters the dream and we have those little uh, glowing moon shape on his forehead. And the um, sort of uh, shape of the Nightmask itself. And he starts hearing... Mister, mister, wake up. You better wake up. And with page 10, we turn into Kirby World. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> Giffen starts doing a, you know, a super Jack Kirby riff in the art here. Um, and it's pretty good, honestly. It's, uh, he, he takes the six panel pages, page grid that you get. Mm, he's most, he's kind of been doing that already. But the, um, Figures, faces, uh, the inking, it is all as designed to make this the most Kirby experience you can get. Yeah. Yeah. The kid totally looks like, you know, oh, like one of the, what is it, like the Newsboys or something? The from... Newsboy Legion. Yeah. yeah. I was saying it keeps uh, reminding me of the Toad from the X Men, honestly. Yeah. It's got that really round cheek kind of face. Yeah, yeah, he's just he's a little uh chubby, so which doesn't look you know, Tad wasn't so anyway. So uh yeah, Nightmask is waking up and his uh feet are in restraints and some sort of you know nightmare Kirby machine. And he's in his nightmask costume and is uh someone else is there too. It's kind of a young kid we were just describing with a green jumpsuit with a big T logo on his chest. And uh, not T for Tad, but T for true believer. <laughs> I think. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I mean, I could I, let me just read this. I'm not surprised you passed out. That was some fight you put up against Dr. Foom. I got a hunch. You must be new in these parts. Uh that's right. I'm uh, new. They call me Night Mask, not New Mask. Night Mask. <laughs> new Universe Man. He's, he's thinking to himself, what? This must be the kid who died and is in the dream? A pleasure to be captured alongside you, Night Mask. They call me True Believer. And uh, so they're both upside down. The, the sort of camera angle flips them up right side up so you can see them a little better from the way you were going at it with boom you must have a score of your own to settle with our arch nemesis uh, i do so you can bet old leadhead is still plenty peeved at us too uh, so someone else is arriving in a big foosh and uh we see the back of him and it's sort of a cross between dr doom and machine man i'm gonna say um with this like all like one piece helmet that covers his whole face. I know not who your caped ally, true believer, but Mm -hmm. lo, as you discovered, he was no more a match for the awesome might of Dr. Foom than you were you. His name is Nightmask Foom, and he doesn't scare any easier than I do. Bold talk for two do-gooders dangling on the brink of their very dooms. Oh my goodness. It kind of reminds me of, I'm having a hard time placing it, but there's kind of like the, 
like the movie trope where like the kid is like overestimating like the adult and is like, yeah, well, you thugs are in for it now because my dad's going to take care of you guys. And the dad's like, um, uh, um. <laughs> <laughs> oh. um, even the narration boxes get in on the action. Gloating with bone-chilling glee, the helmeted hellion proves to be daunted not by his bold captive's words. This time you are mine, little one, as I have conquered. Now uh, I will crush. <laughs> oh, yeah. Next page. Um, true believer is unleashing, as he says. I'll blast it to smithereens instead with a double dose of toxic waste breath. And this blast of something is emitted from his mouth and is attacking Dr. Foom. Foolish little mutant. Think you would allow, I would allow myself to be obliterated so easily. My battle suit simply speed sucked the force of your toxic waste blast before it could inflict any damage. And now, true believer... Okay, I'm going to stop. <laughs> not going to make it to the end of the uh, issue. Yeah, there's like a little vent in his shoulder that like absorbs <laughs> all the toxic gas. It's, it's amazing. It's amazing. So um, he's saying, I'll throw a switch and nothing will be able to save you. Not even your cosmic savior, Starbrand. And Nightmask is, uh, what? Starbrand? Who, true believer, who is this Starbrand? And then we have a shot from outside this, you know, compound or whatever it is. And it's this domed building. And we see someone flying up at it. And while well, uh, the word balloons are still the uh, people inside. Who is Starbrand? Nightmask, you must be from someplace far, far away if you have to ask. Around here, everyone knows and admires Starbrand. Okay, I'll do it a little longer. He is a superhero renowned the world over. The bravest of the brave and bold. A man without fear. An incredible Hulk who wields the strength that makes him the world's mightiest mortal. And it goes on. Right. It's, he. I mean, we all recognize these uh, lines as uh, descriptive of the uh, standard Marvel and even a couple of DC heroes there. Meanwhile, outside, uh, someone is lifting up this entire building. And I think, I can only assume this is like a little dig at uh, shooters like buildings didn't have plumbing you know yeah well i mean it's not a dig though right because it's in the dream so it's kind of like a perfect way to back reference the old style comics when you could pick up a building <laughs> right right so yeah he's he's like um shaking up the building that, that contains um the foom and the captives and uh, we switch to inside where everyone's like going flying and um, release it's releasing Night Mask and True Believer. So Dr. Foom uh, decides to make a run for it. Um, yeah, the, on second look, the, the picture's on page 13 at the top where he's like zipping out of there and there's like the pose of him running and then mm -hmm. like the long shot of him like shaking his fists in anger. Like that's, that's adorable. I love it. <laughs> It's great. He's, uh, yeah, the star brand, I guess, has propped up this building with a log underneath it. So it's like at a 45 degree angle. And Foom <laughs> uh, is shouting at him. And the next panel, we have um, 
star brand looking i would say like orion from the new gods yeah that's exactly what i thought yeah it doesn't it definitely doesn't look like ken connell's typical face which we've seen already yeah it's de- it's a very sort of blocky uh, square jaw face and the haircut is uh I it's don't got know. he-man hair yeah yeah there you go okay he-man hair so um, they shout at each other for a while, and um, then um, Starbrand unleashes some blast from his hand and uh, saying something about a one-way ticket to the moon. So he's like blasting him away. Then the next page, we, uh, we have True Believer and Night Mask uh, congratulating Starbrand, and uh, True Believer is introducing Nightmask to Starbrand. Greetings, friend. I am Starbrand. An old spaceman came to Earth and bestowed upon me the most powerful weapon in the universe. Hence my name. Um, shouldn't it be like power weapon or something? <laughs> Green Lantern? <laughs> Nightmask is thinking to himself, wow, talk about far-fetched. Connell's mind must be working overtime in his sleep. So... He's, he continues to think to himself a lot of commentary on the this dream consciousness has recreated Ken Connell and the kid as hokey superheroes in an old comic book style world. Incredible. The fantasy element that pervades the dream is so compelling it even allows a night mask to fly. So the, the all three of them are flying back into the city. Look, up in the sky, it's Starbrand and True Believer. But who's the new mystery minion at their side? It's like this, like total, yeah, like environment of um, pure curviness. Um, Nightmask asked Tad a little bit more about how his uh, what his background is, and oh, you want to know about my secret origin? Well, let me tell you, I was once out bicycling in the woods, and I tripped and fell into some toxic waste. And uh, I should have been a lethal dose, but when I woke hours. I was uh, I could sense that the toxic waste had energized every cell in my body. From that day, I had what no, a power no one ever dreamed of. Toxic power. In a word, I was a mutant. <laughs> every cell, are you sure? Like your hair? Like every Certainly, bit of- uh, the cells that became cancerous were pretty well energized, but um, <laughs> well, it was actually a heart thing, so never mind. But anyway, um, yeah, I love that he just rode his bike into toxic waste, a pool of toxic waste. <laughs> <laughs> Whoops. Ken tells them that they uh, have to go return to civilian life and their secret identities. Smell you later. I mean, see you around, Nightmask. Excelsior! So, Nightmask thinks more to himself um, that, like, you know, this the real world scenario was uh, changed and played out into something much different here in the dream world. And that if I recall, the comic books I used to read ran rampant with young men and women mutated to become costumed heroes. So pieces of the puzzle, but I have to um, find more. So hopefully this big city is equipped with, and then he's suddenly in a building that says a public library outside it. And he's looking up things in a computer, actually, which is interesting. Uh, and, uh, oh, no, a microfilm. Boy, that, that takes me back. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and he's uh, looking through, I guess, newspapers in this town, the city where Ken's dream is. Like, 
you know, sometimes it's surprising how elaborate the dream worlds are. Um, but he's uh, saying that the newspapers describe this ongoing war between Starbrand and Dr. Foom, always uh, trying to save the life of the true believer, Tad Soames. It was actually Selby in the real world. But um, it's always, uh, the threat is always Dr. Foom, and it's always Starbrand who rescues him. And uh, something about a, you know, figure of mortality. And, you know, but anyway, he's like, I've got to go find them in their civilian identities. So uh, later that day, school bus drops off young Tad at the Connell Motors showroom. I do like that. At least he dreams himself in a better uh, position. Yeah, yeah. And uh, suddenly he's getting, uh, Tad's getting picked up by a flying night mask. Um, and his night mask tells him, oh, I needed your help. And uh, I looked up Ken Connell's address in a phone book. And I figured if I hang, hung out around his showroom, his young ward would show up sooner or later. Holy cow, wait till Starbrand finds out you know our secret identities. Like literally two minutes of research. That's all it took. Yes. <laughs> well, he did have the advantage of knowing Ken Connell's name. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. From the real world. Right. So. At the next page, um, at that moment, back at Connell Motors, and Ken is talking to someone, a customer. How much can you take off the sticker price? That, and he's thinking to himself, that's odd. I could have sworn I just saw Ted's school bus come by, but where is Tad? Again, he's still, still got the uh, He-Man hair and the civilian identity, which is uh, kind of extra hilarious. I don't know. Um, far away, Ken Connell, where the toxic teen is but a few heartbeats away from deadly danger. So Nightmask and Tad are now on top of a mountain and uh, Tad's changed into his costume and I uh, look out here comes Dr. Foom why do you keep hounding us and then there we get a little monologue from Foom here I'll, I'll try to anger me not with your brash tongue wanton boy wielder of power most foul you and Nightmask have yet to know the full fury of my awesome wrath once unleashed yikes <laughs> And he grabs him with like a construction scoop looking thing. Yeah, it's like a weird like flying Kirby motorcycle sled that has a giant construction scoop in the front of it. Anyway, yeah, it's really hard to describe, but it's yeah, it's like a interesting looking red something really. So um, they're flying off, and uh, Tad's not worried at all because. Um, I carry a miniature emergency alarm device attuned to the same vibrational frequency as Starbrand's of limitless power. So he's got a little alarm and he pushes the button on it. Little cute little, looks like a stopwatch with the Starbrand logo on it. Z, Z. And uh, back at Connell Motor, uh, you see just like an explosion out of the roof as uh, Ken takes <laughs> off immediately. Somebody's going to have to fix that. Now they're taken back to Foom's stronghold and uh, Tad's asking, like, what are we going to do now? And Nightmask tells him, uh, what do you mean you're going to take over my body? Who are you anyway? Just someone out of a dream, Tad, just like you. And uh, 
I think Keith is like putting his fingers onto Tad's uh, forehead and his. So I mean, Tad is a figment of Ken's imagination, dream world. So he can Nightmask is able to manipulate this somewhat. And I think the next uh, page we have Doctor Foom arrive, and uh, it's just Tad there, or. Tad, who is now Nightmask, yeah. Um, and they're talking for a moment, and because Foom has grabbed him, he's close enough that he can take his helmet off. And uh, let's see. Well, let me back up a panel. We know everyone else here are prisoners of he who believes in you, but hear my vow, it shall not be thus much longer. Gee, thanks for the sermonette, Doc. He who believes in you. <laughs> but, um, he's like, I want to know who's doing the preaching. So he takes off his helmet. You, Dr. Foom, is another Ken Connell. What? What? <laughs> and the interesting thing for me is the that this is now in the style of the real world Ken Connell. So it's uh, the Keith Giffen style that the book started with. And uh, he's saying, except I'm the genuine item kid. I'm your Ken Connell's worst nightmare come to life. My star brand and me, we're the real world. And then uh, Kirby Ken Connell is busting through the, the wall. What does that make me, Ace? Chopped liver? Star brand, I uh, knew you'd save me. So we have a, a nice uh, couple of panels of... Um, Starbrand versus Starbrand face-off, but it's just uh, you know them shouting at each other with these two different styles. Don't you get it, Connell? There never was a, a Doctor Foom, and uh, the, the, whenever uh, Kirby can blast him, uh, it's like I'm going to rid the world of you. Can't be done, my friend. You may wield the most awesome power in the universe, but not even the might of the Starbrand can stop me. Can you guess why, Ken Connell? You you must be here to claim Tad. You're death in disguise. Not death, just reality. I am the world outside your window. I don't like that. <laughs> the real world you shun. Every time you retreat into this 10-year-old's fantasy realm. Ouch, I collected all of those. Come on. <laughs> A realm where heroes always triumph and the good never die young. And Nightmask is thinking to myself, I was right. Um, you know, he had figured out what some of what was going on here. The kid, the Connells start shouting at each other some more. Now the next page, they're going full, like powered up star brand where it's just, you know, white silhouettes and Kirby crackle everywhere. He put his faith in me. He believed in me. He said the star brand made me a superhero who could do anything. Yeah, in his fantasy world, Connell, not our world. In reality, we both know no one gets to cheat death. In reality, there are no superheroes. Ouch. So, um, Nightbrass is thinking to himself, the battle of the star brands is bringing this dream to an end, so I'd better get out of here. And uh, uh, he takes off. And uh, it's just left to uh, Connell versus Connell. You were chosen to the, possess the star brand for a reason, Ken. So maybe you are in some way a special breed. 
Maybe that's why you meant so much to the kid before he died. He died? Yes, Tad died. The true believer's world is all a dream. I'm free now, free to go back, back to reality, to stay. So we, uh, I mean, wow. One more page. Uh, we are back in the real world in the Ballad Dream Clinic where um, Ken is still under and uh, Keith is describing things to uh, Lucian a little. You wouldn't believe it, Lucian. It was like something straight out of a comic. You know, tell me all about it later, Keith. Uh, you better get out of here before Ken wakes up. And uh, Ken does wake up and he says, I can't remember the details, but uh, for the first time, it's you know, I feel like I'm okay and it's going to be better from here on out. Well, uh, have a safe trip back to Pittsburgh. So Nightmask is looking out the window, thinking, weird, we never really met. Somehow I'm feeling Nightmask met a side of Ken Connell most people never get to see. And uh, Ken, as he walks away, thinks he is, there's a weird face in the back of my mind, a gleaming glimpse. I don't recall from the dream, maybe, but one thing I am sure of, whoever he was, wherever he walks, he is a friend. Oh, we have a little bit of the night mask logo sort of floating in the air next to him. <laughs> yeah, maybe Ken just needs a friend, a better friend than Myron. That's all I'm saying. But I don't know. also, Dr. Bellin's like, sorry, Ken, your credit card was declined. <laughs> Ken, uh, you're, you're not, this isn't really covered by insurance. You realize that, right? Yeah, yeah, it can't be that much, right? Ken, you're an auto reconditioner. You, you know, I'm kind of a scam to take money out of rich Georgetown people, you know, a lot of money here in D.C. for some reason. <laughs> <coughs> anyway, wow, face front true believers. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot going on in that one. Um, definitely was not <laughs> expecting a, a Kirby comic. <laughs> it is um, one of a kind, I think, in the new universe. And uh it is, it's, there's a lot of like really amusing moments in that. Um, the dialogue is, I mean, it just, it's actually gotten better with age. At the time, you, I, I would have thought this is kind of off putting, you know, such like an old style and everything. But um, I'm more, I mean, nostalgic for it now and having like a, a well done, um, pastiche of it i guess yeah having it as like a contrast and not like a whole piece is kind of helpful i think you know that's true plus all the kind of like i mean it's a little like wink wink nod kind of stuff as well as like so it can be real over the top and then just makes you feel that you know kirby lee kind of uh dialogue and art style and then uh yeah it's just uh all the little nods to the new universe and and that kind of stuff was, was nice as well. Yeah. I want to say the uh, the dialogue ended up reminding me also of uh, Adam Warren's Empowered. There's a couple of the characters in that that are super over the top. Oh, yeah, yeah. The, the super, super omnipotent being that's like wrapped in a belt. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, that guy is always... The, the more alliterative you get, the more it sounds like that to me. Um, let's see. We have. Yeah, it's, um, it's pretty fun. Uh, I, I would say if you're going into Ken Connell's dream and, you, and it's kind of like a night mask thing and there's no 
sexy ladies. <laughs> Seems a little odd. Right? I mean, like half of the time, 18-year-old Keith Remsen in a night mask, like there's always, you know, some reason to have some woman in a bikini that he's hanging out with inside the dream world. But feels like a little bit of a missed opportunity. I guess it wouldn't really fit in to the sad kid dying thing, but I mean I can imagine Doc is like superheroes. a big Barda sort of character in yeah. there. Yeah. Or like Barb and well, yeah, if it wasn't Tad dying, you would have like like Barb and Duck fighting over him or something would be an interesting Kirby um, <laughs> thing to do. Yeah. Yeah, I do I do have a note like analyze his love life. That would be more, yeah. Right. Why do you have a, such a hard time choosing? So, um, I, I once again, I don't know. The last couple of kids we've seen in the new universe, like there was the one with uh, in DP seven number ten, that was kind of like off-putting art style, and this one is likewise a little weird. It's, uh, I guess, hard to do children uh, uh, well, and we we. We keep it like sort of fluctuating through um, cute, but maybe not yeah, a little off model. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it's also like he's got like a kid head and like this like slightly smaller stature, but like buff dude superhero body too, which is kind of a weird juxtaposition. Yeah. So um, overall, I don't know. I had a, a fun time with it. Um I mean, you know, in a in a post uh, shooter star brand, um, this I, I sort of felt it made up for last issue in a lot of ways. Like, oh, okay, but then I guess it was worth having that weird detour. Um, I don't know. It's I, I give it. Uh, I'll throw out a B. Um, although I'm, it's a little, you know, on the high side of that. Yeah, I, I I struggle with it too. Like if, if you're not into it and kind of like thinking about it, like it's I mean it's it's a weird issue. <laughs> um but uh but yeah it, it's the, the wackiness is kind of fun. There's a lot of little details. Um you know, you we were kind of expecting Keith Giffen's art style, and we got that a little bit in the beginning before it went into Keith. Giffen drawing Jack Kirby, which was also fun. But yeah, I, I don't know how to rate it, but it definitely <laughs> seems to be. And I definitely agree it was better than uh, the previous issue. And it also makes the previous issue seem less of a fill in because that one seemed very one off. Like, oh, let's go off on this motorcycle adventure for some reason and run into all these random characters. Um, You'll never see again. Yeah. So this kind yeah. of wraps that up as well as moves things forward. So for like a new group picking up after last time, you know, they did a nice job with that, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. It was a, uh, I'm with you on both of those counts and uh, yeah, Carrie Bates uh, is, did a better job here than I've seen from his star brand or that uh, Spitfire work. I thought. Um, Agreed. And, you know, it's actually, I, we, we haven't really had a comedy issue in any of these series. So uh, this is maybe close. I don't know. I mean, it's yeah, got. That's true. It's a, it's not, haha, there's a dead kid, but, you know. 
Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you said it. But uh, yeah, so a fun time there. Should we jump into the letters page on that? Yeah, what, one quick mention before letters is I always enjoy in older comics the ads. Like Mile High Comics always has an ad where they're like giving you like the prices for the issues and stuff. And uh, the New Universe books show up in there in their Marvel section too. So it's like back in the day they were charging a buck twenty five for the first issue of like Night Mask and Star Brand and such. And then the later issues are a dollar. So of course cover price back then was still seventy five cents. So a slight increase in cost. Maybe well, it's just the charge it's... for the bag and board though. It's almost doubled in one year. So now 37 years later, this must be that much more expensive. <laughs> Infinite price comic. Um <laughs> but yeah, the letters page is huge. Um assistant editor Mike Rockwitz probably was uh oh, right, right. In, in charge of this here. Um and like all the others, it's just letters to. So letters to Starbrand. Oh, the first page, I think, are all um, comments on the first issue. And then they have a blurb uh, from the editors. We'd like to pause here to thank all of you for our letters of praise on our premiere issue. Looks like we found a, quite a following out there. Now, since we've fallen so far behind, um, here's a few random samplings of your comments on what's been happening in Starbrand so far. And there's a lot of comments on um, basically uh, Barb versus Duck. And uh... yeah, I like though the there's like two big long ones on the second page, which is like classic comics letters page. We're like, well, you know, that really wouldn't work this way, kind of guys. Yeah, there's like, like a physics uh, check in one, like you know. Picking up a car by like the frame is going to just rip off everything or the mm -hmm. door. And uh, I think that was back when he showed Duck his powers for the first time. You know, he was big into lifting things like couches and whatnot in the early issues. So yeah, he like picked up his little convertible. I think. Yeah. There was, there. Sometimes we call out those when they're like sort of egregious, but uh, not you know. Not every time, but no, it wasn't too bad. But I think the the editor responses were kind of at least interesting, uh, or at least parts of them. Actually, yeah, that one is pretty interesting. Yeah, it says the the limits of Ken's star brand power are still unknown. Ed Blumenthal, five fourteen Commerce Street, number thirty one, Dallas, Texas seven five two zero eight. He's still in the process of discovering what he can and cannot do. It is known that his strength is connected somehow to his conscious will. That is, he seems to be as strong as he needs to be when he wants to be. Yeah, so perhaps, you know, we wanted to lift the entire car and intended to remove the whole door, blah, blah, blah. Uh, but that's kind of a, a nice little reminder of that. You know, I, I think we've kind of heard that kind of half from the old man and half from like brainwashed duck but like you know his power works the way he believes it to work yeah something about yeah like his costume rips when he doesn't think it'll he can protect it or something but if he thinks it does then it doesn't yeah so it's you know it's Still, the, the like the nature and reality of the star brand is is an open question. Even uh, 
yeah which i still like i I, kind of like that like you don't have to answer everything well it's yeah so i think we talk a little about how i would like to you know have some scientist investigating what's going on because ken's not a scientist and he doesn't honestly have any interest in that so um yeah like like the real world you get this power and you don't know what to do like you know you don't have the tools or the skills to, you know, find out where, you know, what it does or where it comes from or, or things like that. And yeah, that's some complicated stuff. If even, you know, you can imagine. Mm-hmm. Um, then there's a second uh, one that has a lot of, uh, throws out a lot of ideas. I'm going to say like um, for the possessor to truly be a, a Threatening force in universal affairs, though, it must grant the following properties. The guy literally has like... Must, like, you have to give him these things, otherwise you're stupid. Yeah, otherwise it'll suck. Okay, <laughs> so he has to be immune immunity to most psionic powers. Um, no, Ken is not. Immunity to magical powers. Which don't exist in the new universe. Immunity to disease. Maybe. Okay. Immunity to benign alterations? Like you couldn't be shrunk down unless the power was off. Um, I guess. And consistency of power. The star brand should remain just as powerful in all parts of the universe. And then he talks a little there's a little ideas that we do have been in working on. Does the star brand give everyone the same power or are they shaped by the possessor's personality? What happens to the brand if the possessor is killed? Is there more than one brand in the universe? If so, how are they different? Those actually are good questions and a couple have been touched upon and a couple hopefully we'll see. Yeah, don't forget, uh, probably you you have considered these questions, Jim Shooter. The stories all seem very well thought out. I truly hope you stay with the comic for at least a hundred issues. Already off the comic, uh, and I guess <sighs> gone really by the time this is published. Let's see, dude. He's getting fired right around this time. It could have been like his last act at Marvel was reading your letter there, Mike. And um... <laughs> see, I guess no one wants me here. Fine, I'm out of here. Um, womp, womp. so let's see you brought a you said a mouthful and brought up a lot of interesting points mike it's important to remember a few things first ken was told the star brand is a powerful weapon but not that it is all powerful brand may have certain limitations which have let to be yet to be revealed as for your other points um it's uh blah, 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 blah. like we said no magic and uh if the uh, Ken should die before passing on the star brand as the old man revealed in issue six, well, I wouldn't do that. Um, of course, he may have been lying. So, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, keep Everything on reading. You know, it's a long the, uh, the other letters, they talk about, um, you know, how he'll have like a slow build to a hero's arc, um, sort of. And um, most of the writers like Duck. Yes. Four votes for Duck, one against Barb, and one against Ken. <laughs> My favorite is uh, 
the letter that goes, Dear Dudes, I'm going to get straight to the point. In issue five of Starbrand, what you did to Duck almost had me crying with her. And that's when the old man kind of like roughed her up and after he'd brainwashed her. Um, and if you have her commit suicide or something, I will show you the real meaning of pain. <laughs> Exclamation point. She is perfect for Kenny. Barb has kids. She's seeing other people. Duck is awesome and faithful. And if you kill her, I won't stand for it. Don't throw away the duck. <laughs> that was my favorite of the bunch. We should have t-shirts made up with that. Don't throw away the duck. <laughs> uh, well, let's see. How about we take a break and come back in a minute? All right. Don't throw away the duck. <laughs> Okay, welcome back. Hopefully you did not throw away the duck. <laughs> All right, so time to talk Codename Spitfire. Um, so same, it came out the same time, presumably. So the cover date is September 87, though it looks like it hit the rack June 16th, so summer 1987. Um, we've got our front cover you know of course you know i'm still getting used to the new title codename spitfire even though it, it's not that new i suppose um but title is basically just an action scene uh credited to geiger and mcleod of the new looking spitfire armor kind of up in the air flying uh surrounded by a bunch of missiles so peril yeah it, it does look quite similar uh <laughs> Stephen was holding up the previous issue and it was also flying in the air and <laughs> missiles and uh, but there was an airplane on that one so totally different oh okay. maybe it was just like an unused cover <laughs> uh <laughs> you know like hey here's a couple of cover ideas using <laughs> all of them using all of them i was gonna throw in there that this is we do know that code name is not gonna last much longer here so this will be the last time these two are coming out on the same day so what are you talking about our old double no, buddies no, oh right there's no we won't have them paired again right. you're saying that they canceled codename spitfire there's not gonna be 20 more issues i i don't want to don't want to look too far into the crystal ball but next answer <laughs> looks hazy try again later yeah, what were we saying earlier? R.I.P. All of our hopes and dreams of ever seeing <laughs> troubleshooters exist. <laughs> oh, uh, R.I.P. Our brains. Um, but yeah, so you know, inside, uh, opening up the book past the M and M's ad, uh, which are apparently semi-controversial in the news in 2023 these days for some stupid reason I didn't bother looking up. Um, so the title of this one is Ghost in the Machine, and I've heard that and seen that written so many times without really having any sense of what it was attributed to. Um, you know, did you know? Did you go to a liberal arts school? I went to a technical school. <laughs> yeah, I went to liberal arts school, but um, I mean, the the 
I want to say there was an album by that title and definitely um, uh, now I, it just makes me think of ghost in the shell. So it, uh, yeah, predated that. So it's hard to remember. So, I mean, the best, the, the Wikipedia scholars have put together, uh, um, it was some guy who was basically criticizing like Descartes philosophy, like, you know, so it has to do with like the separation of mind and body. And mm. so um, like Gilbert Ryle or something like that. And he had talked about, I think he didn't like that idea, but he kind of referred to it as the ghost in the machine, the ghost being the mind and the machine being the body. And they're not necessarily that separate. Um, and then I guess in, in 67, there was a title of, it was a book title. Um, but yeah, then I think from there, like lots of pop culture references, including ghost in the shell which is pretty much saying the same thing right that's mind yeah. planted into literal machine yeah it's a literalization of that theory so that's interesting i mean a common cyberpunk um theme of the separation of mind and body so yeah. interesting or someone pops a, a beta max tape into the max armor and then all of a sudden uh jenny swenson's dad's back hey which is you must be far. happy with that right yeah. this is not that far off from what actually happens in the comic <laughs> um yeah anyway um so big title uh, opens up to yeah you know, kind of what we saw on the cover the the, the new max armor flying around uh, you know with tons of explosions like anti-aircraft explosions going off uh, this was written by Len Kaminsky, who I wasn't super familiar with, but I recognized the name from a lot of things. But this would have been him when he was like 25 years old as the writer. Yeah, he's uh, he's in the production credits of that issue, too. Oh, uh, right on. So he's doing assistant traffic managing as well. <laughs> so, yeah, I think this is early on. We talked a bit about like you know, younger or newer artists and writers picking up new universe work. And it seemed like that's probably the case here. Because yeah, uh, yeah. he, has, he has a long uh, bibliography now, but and then art by Javier Salteras, who we have seen before. Uh, I don't recall exactly when the last time it was. But anyway, so uh, the comic starts, you know, again, the, we're getting... You know, kind of readouts from the max armor there's little boxes about thrusters 93 percent capacity kind of thing um and i guess basically what's happening here in the beginning is they're trying to kill jenny spenson so it's clearly a, a training exercise but there's all these you know surface to air particle beam systems and things launching bombs at her uh they're basically out on the yard hooked up to a trailer pulled behind a truck where like Edmund Roth and company are in there kind of scoffing at Jenny and her capabilities. Like, it just seems like they're trying to off her. Um, like, oh, she's doing fine. Uh, give her something hard. I agree. She's coasting. Like, very well. Initiate phase two. And they launch like eight missiles at her. <laughs> um, so we finally get to peek at Jenny inside the suit, uh, who's literally sweating. Uh, she's like, oh, swell. Um, and the readout from whether it's the Max Armor or their computers, and it says tactical analysis indicates operator demonstrating two-dimensional thinking. Right. Um, 
broth says scatter so i guess you can you know they can control these missiles so instead of the missiles just following behind her like heat seekers you know they kind of scatter around her <laughs> uh zoom back and hit her they hit the max armor so they just shot her with like eight missiles um and go figure she goes flying down crashing down to earth uh manual control disrupted thrusters deactivated altitude loss condition critical in 17 seconds um but she just kind of barely pulls up out of it uh and ends up kind of skidding along the ground you know it looks like a movie comet impact crater kind of thing or an asteroid um so yeah what's going on here man they're just trying to kill this this lady <laughs> some rabbits running for it uh <laughs> that's true yeah not sure why those are there cartoony looking but actually five rabbits being protected by the hawk or something you know i did i'm sorry i didn't notice this oh it's the the next page she's just looking at the video i was wondering why they were repeating that panel again it's like yeah yeah (laughs) yeah so um but yeah, it seems like a little rough for a training exercise. I mean, you get to look inside the max armor, and uh, I mean, it is not the equivalent safety level of like a modern NASCAR driver, you know, where they have them like within a helmet and they're all strapped in and like impacts and all that kind of stuff. If you crash land that thing, that's gonna hurt. Um, yeah, I was like, you can't just drop, and because you're man shaped, you're not gonna get hurt. I don't know. Yeah. So the armor seems undamaged. So, you know, what's going on? Like, are they practice missiles or something, hopefully, and not real? Um, But it just kind of knocks out her control or she loses it. But, uh, yeah, it's kind of a weird setup where it just seems like they're kind of back to torturing her again. But anyway, um, so... um, from there we cut to yeah so her kind of re-watching that scene we get the same image of max armor you know i think it's quite literally the same picture but colored differently um and she's reviewing it on tape so you know 1987 classic they got this big fat monitor screen and she's pressing the rewind button uh to, to watch the thing again um until uh um, she gets interrupted. So, oh, shoot, the, what's the guy's name? Not Jake Travis. Jake Travis. Thank you. It was escaped me for just a second there. They Sorry. they don't introduce him for like twenty pages in this issue. I don't know. They I, don't. I kept no. waiting. He looks almost like Merc in his first panel he's in. But uh... yeah. So you know, see his hand enter in and pressing stop. Uh, she's like, give it a rest, will you? You're not going to see anything you haven't seen the last 16 times. You know, that's a lot of rewinding. She's going to wreck the tape. <laughs> uh, he doesn't say that. Uh, why? He's like, come on, everybody makes mistakes. She, this is different. She's like, I don't know why I even bother talking to you. We don't either. Uh, <laughs> he says, sure you do. Just think about it. Um, so we, we cut to her, um, presumably in her room, you know, maybe... In, at home maybe in the cia there's not much of a transition here uh, where she's kind of sitting on a chair looking at a photo of her father thinking you know how can i go through with this i thought you'd be furious with me if you knew what i was doing with your work but your taped message urged me to work with roth to prevent max technology from being perverted by foreign powers 
Um, reminder, that was a lie. The Edmund Roth made a digital fake, you know, a deep fake, basically, of her father <laughs> telling her to, uh, you know, trust Edmund Roth, you know, do what he says. He has the right. Forget all the non-violence thing I told you before, because this is serious now. So <laughs> we should definitely military is great now. Yeah, forget what and I that, said before. And when when she wasn't a hundred percent on board, he made another one. It's like, how many tapes does this guy leave? And I guess she bought it though. Uh, not her shining moment of intellect, I suppose. But uh, she's like, you are always so vehemently opposed to anything in, even remotely connected with the military. You know, well until that videotape. Um, ding, so we get ding, kind of ding, like, ding. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. So we get kind of a funny flashback of. Uh, little Jenny Swenson, uh, art's a little iffy here, uh, but hanging out again, with dads. Yeah, again, kids are tough. Um, it's like, oh, I, she's like, I need a book on quantum physics for my school project. <laughs> it's like, dads, don't you think that's stretching things a bit? How about Isaac Newton instead? You know, he wasn't that smart. <laughs> uh, and she says, oh, daddy, that's kid stuff. <laughs> So he's, he goes up on the ladder to get the quantum physics book and she sees a letter from the Department of Defense and picks it up. And it's like, what do they want? And this freaks out her dad. So apparently he really, really doesn't like them. Um, he jumps off the ladder, rips it out of her hands. Don't touch that. No matter how many times I've told them all, no part of their obscene system. They won't leave me alone. I don't care what they offer. Money, status, fancier equipment. <laughs> <laughs> I'll never sell my soul to them. Oh, yeah, that's a young Teddy Kaczynski here. Yeah, really. Geez. <laughs> so he's just basically because she picked up that envelope. Now he's like scolding her and like, you know, they're a sickness. Promise me you'll never use this. Never, never believe them. Never use their justification for violence. I promise, dad. And then cutting back to her looking at the, the picture um yeah so she's thinking to herself you know okay now i'm going back on it uh he'd never understand but you know this is the only way i could continue working on the max you know to keep his dream alive of using the technology to build the better world you know i'm not sure you're really doing that jenny but you know tell yourself that um that's kind of what she's thinking too you know is is that the real reason or just what i tell myself so i can sleep at night am i guilty of loving his ideals too much or too little so you're having trouble sleeping at night. I know a guy in Georgetown that can help you with that, Jenny. Right. That'd be great. And like the father could show up in the dreams, battling out with the max armor or something. And then he's got his max armor and she's got her new government provided CIA max. Uh, missed opportunities. Hmm. Uh, but then in the uh, cheesiest of plot contrivances, he's, she drops the picture of her father and it smashes into bits on the table and there's a computer disc hidden behind it, um, <laughs> which makes me think I really just need to start doing that. Like, um, you know, 40 now, you know, it, it, it's time to hide things in old photographs and behind them <laughs> because, you know, my kids need to find this stuff in, in the future and, just, I never uh, understood you, Dad. Oh, wait, what's this? I never <laughs> noticed it before. Yeah. Like, uh, like I could take, 
you know, try and find like what's my most valuable comic book or something, and hide it behind something, leave some CDs, like some mixtapes or something. I don't know, like maybe everything. <laughs> but I don't know. You'd have to like grease them up or something to make sure that they get dropped and smashed. Otherwise, they'll just end up in the goodwill. <laughs> Someday she'll get so upset that she'll yeah. smash this photo. So uh, <laughs> always hated that time. photo. Psh, wait a minute, what's this there? <laughs> hmm. Hmm. We'll see. I'm probably not going to do that, but now I really want to. <laughs> um, but yeah, this is big red floppy disk uh, with initials M A P on it. Um, so of course she um, she teleports to the, this large computer system, <laughs> which is assumingly assuming part of the CIA. Uh, I don't know where she is. So it's, it's a little confusing. She pops the disc in. Let's see what this thing does. And you know, it goes. It gets pretty war games now at this point, right? Um, puts it in and says, "Hello, Jen. What can I do for you?" On the screen. And she's thinking what I'm assuming she's typing into it, you know, state the function of this program. It says, I'm the men amplified experiment advisory program. Uh, Max, Max app. <laughs> Max up. Uh, written by your father for use. You can't use the first initial of another acronym. That's just cheating. Yeah. <laughs> Max P. Um, so uh, written by your father for use in continuing his work in the event of his death. I'm like, man, <laughs> so this is the real in the event of his death thing. Yeah. He didn't actually make a video and give it to Roth. He just hid discs around the house. Um, yeah. <laughs> but it's sassy. It's like, surely that can't be all you want to know. <laughs> and she says, you got to be kidding. No computer talks like this. Uh, she types in list program. And it says, that's my girl. Get right to the technical aspect, but first, tell me who won the World Series. Okay, <laughs> sure thing, robot. Uh, so that's a little weird, but I guess that's you know how we get our Knight Rider type situation going on in the future of the comic. <laughs> but anyway, um, a, a big jump to a you know an episode of GI Joe basically here is what I'm getting. Uh, so meanwhile, at a secret USAF airbase in the Midwest. Um, so this fancy, really odd futuristic airplane lands and we get this pilot coming out. Um, you know, so experimental test plane and test pilot. That should sound very familiar to those of us with Kickers Inc. Uh, uh, in our memories. Um, so he lands, Chuck Yeager, eat your heart out. And I like this guy because he's coming down the ladder. It's like, now it's Miller time. <laughs> so the guy's ready ready to get sauced. Um, he's got kind of like a brown flight suit on and, and what looks totally like a G.I. Joe, like scuba helmet or kind of thing. Like So it's kind of neat. Um, but unfortunately, Miller time will have to wait. Uh, so he lands, but he's surrounded by, you know, people we don't recognize. He says, pardon me, Captain, but my associates and I have liberated this airbase and that is liberated in quotes I'm like what but it's miller time uh it's like ah but we can and we have and we will we'll relieve you of that expensive hardware um so it looks like the pilot kind of starts to make a move or something uh but basically gets gunned down so this poor guy we will never know his name 
and he will never get that beer. Um, uh, <laughs> and then the the guy who was talking is kind of like black hair, purple coat, uh, picks up the helmet, you know, from the pool of blood and puts it on. He's like, ah, oh, they always move. Pity. Good test pilots are so hard to come by these days. Um, so, so the guy who gunned him down, who we don't know yet, you know, pops on the helmet, fires the plane back up, takes off, and then bombs the airport, which I thought they had just taken over, but I don't know. It's a little mixed up because the pilot was talking to like air traffic control like normal, but then when he lands, you know, he's in enemy territory all of a sudden, which is kind of interesting. Yeah, like a whole airport seems excessive, but yeah. Either way, they were waiting for him on the runway. Um, I looked up that airplane because it is the spitting image of, of an old G.I. Joe toy, uh, which was like the Phantom X-19. Um, mm. And the but the toy came out after. So the 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 airplane and it's kind of like it's kind of hard to say. It's almost like guitar pick shaped. Like it doesn't have distinct wings. They're all kind of molded in. And he's got these two like angled top fin wings, which are kind of neat. Um, but I, I figured it out. I guess it, it was basically based on an old model kit. So there's no real plane. Uh, There's never a, a, an experimental plane that looked like this, but it was listed as testers, like T-E-S-T-O-R-S. Like they sell paint and models. Um, mm -hmm. Most uh, popular model kit ever. Uh, the F-19 Stealth Fighter is what they called it. So if you look up an image of Testor's F-19 Stealth Fighter model kit, this is that's pretty much exactly the plane you're looking at here. Uh, oh, yeah. It's kind of neat. Um, nice. And it, it, it must have been really popular because it showed up all over the place. Like I said, it was in G.I. Joe and then also in... Uh, like a Tom Clancy book where the pilot of the plane, his name was Ghost Rider, which was also the name that they gave the G.I. Joe pilot that they sold with it. So, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Looking at that, I, I, it's the sort of thing you'd see in concept art or something the years before they'd released the actual, you know, images of some of these um, advanced uh, fighter planes, bomber planes, whatever. Yeah, so. I had a couple extra days of doing research, so <laughs> I was digging. Nice, nice. Yeah, but uh, so yeah, so I guess that's setting up our action for the plot later. So, so we cut back to Jenny still talking to her computer program dad uh, when the phone rings and Roth is. We got a situation. Code red. Want you in the conference room, stat. Uh, the computer is sad, waiting. It's like, what's happening, Jen? Like, this thing knows too much. Like, does it have sensors? What's going on with this computer program? Can it hear what's in the room? Um, but yeah, so um, I guess Edmund Roth is in charge of every international incident ever. Uh, it's like the Pentagon, you know. So he talks about the plane as designed to intercept Soviet ICBMs, intercontinental ballistic missiles. It can outfly, outshoot, and outrun anything either side currently has in the air, except maybe this big clunky red suit of armor. Um, and the prototype was stolen seven minutes ago. Um, and 
Travis is like, I'm tired of cleaning up other people's mistakes. And he says, may I remind you, Travis, that cleaning up is what we do here at the agency. <laughs> Did you um, kill everyone there? Yes, I cleaned up for you. <laughs> yeah. 12 pages in, we finally got, we're sure we're talking to Travis here. So Yeah. And they also mentioned the name of the killer who stole the airplane as... Um, an independent operative, highly skilled, daring, and incredibly clever freelancer known to us as... Steelhawk. Ev- yeah, I was going to say Steelhawk. <laughs> nope. Uh, Evan Reinger. Reinger? Uh, some guy we don't know about. <laughs> We're like, yeah, what are we here again? Another one of these guys? Uh, oh, Arun Bakhti, whatever happened to you? You're back out of the Scandinavian clinic already. Anyway. Yeah. So then, like, Jenny's still kind of torn, you know, like, am I taking this thing into combat? Um, and, you know, everyone knows where she's kind of daydreaming. But, like, I don't quite understand the scene. So I guess they must be showing on the projector images of the people that they blew up in the airport. Um, That's about what I was thinking. Because yeah. there's, like, some scribbles on the board. Uh, maybe he drew it on the whiteboard. I don't know. I don't see the, oh yeah, there's a projector. Yeah. It's a little hard to parse out, but yeah, it looks like they're showing like burning bodies and that manipulates Jenny enough. She's like, all right, let's go. <laughs> um, so you get kind of like a, a fun couple of pages on, on, or a couple of panels on 14 of her kind of armoring up, you know, they're, they're putting some extra weapon systems on there. You know, remember early on max armor when it just had like, construction tools to fight with like now it's got missiles and jetpacks and stuff um and oh, mach 4 plus acceleration wow. right i mean <laughs> that sounds uh uncomfortable yeah I, I mean things that break the sound barrier are very aerodynamic for a good reason i think yeah, and usually you at least have like a comfortable seat and an air mask, right, <laughs> for doing this kind of stuff. But she's just in there, like you know, like she's right driving a car. Basically, it's what it kind of looks like. Um, but yeah, so they they give her a countdown. They launch the Max suit. Um, you know, we get a clip. Uh, we cut to um, uh, what's his name, Evan, who had stolen the plane. Um, who starts to pick something up on radar. It's like some kind of aircraft, no, a missile, you know, a bird, a plane. <laughs> uh, maneuvering like that, it's got to be manned. Uh, Say, so, well, let it come. This whole deal has been entirely too boring so far anyway. Um, so, okay, he's ready for action. Uh, Jenny says, there he is. Too bad he didn't know that fighters' anti-radar systems weren't in use during the test flight. So, I don't really know what that means. So I guess like it has the stealth technology is not turned on. I guess is what she's saying there, right? Um, so we get a, a page where you know he's sort of looking through the cockpit and we see something kind of zigzagging towards, and it's the Max armor coming closer and it basically just buzzes him, um, kind of causes him to veer off in his plane uh, with a. A shroom, a shroom and a flash. Uh, <laughs> uh, 
get kind of like a classic, you know, the guys uh, back, like Travis and the people back in the mission control are like, what is she up to? She's like, she's trying to psych him out, Travis. It seems to be working, at least on you. Ooh, <laughs> Ooh burn, Travis. <laughs> These guys are supposed to be working together. <laughs> um, and, but then uh, say, okay, so we got a problem. Having trouble sending the telemetry to the max, something or someone or some kind of rogue computer program, oh, she doesn't say that, is blocking my commands. Uh, so we get another, I, I like the panels of like close up on Jenny's face with the big beads of sweat. <laughs> She's sweating it out in there. Um, so yeah, she, she basically lost her, her information uh, you know, coming to the max suit. So she basically just only can rely on what she can see. Uh, so we don't know quite exactly why that is, but she's looking up, looking like she's gearing up to fire a missile at that test plane. It ends up kind of exploding on the face of it, but instead covering the cockpit in black paint. So it's like a, I mean, and that'll probably cause you to crash and die anyway, right? If you can't see much, I guess he still has his instruments. Um, but yeah, so she's using non-lethal missiles here to some degree. And then we cut back to the, the mission control where Travis and Roth are there and it pops up on their screen. It says, no, I forbid it. And then the same thing shows up on the Max armor. So so yeah, the the computer disk has hacked all their systems, taken control, and won't allow them to fight, or at least not use deadly force. Mm -hmm. So good good going, robot max app, former dad <laughs> program thingy. You're also probably going to get your daughter killed. <laughs> Maybe. Good timing there. <laughs> if only I'd found that disc two minutes but you know after i came back from this mission and yeah yeah i guess that was the one thing she took with her to the cia base is that picture unless they had it i don't know where did this where did this come from <laughs> it's a little too convenient but anyway it's fine um um so yeah a little more fighting uh you know she ends up like blasting like a like, a, I don't know, my point of reference for this military stuff is video games. It's like a like a Jeff bomb from Metal Gear, uh, a bunch of flakes of aluminum to confuse its targeting system kind of thing. Right. Um, and we get a readout. So now it's talking, the computer program is talking to Jenny in the Max armor now. And it says, Jennifer, I cannot let you do this. She says, I don't understand. Who are you? Why are you doing this? And apparently it can hear her sure uh it says because there's no defense for the use of violence it's like oh my dad <laughs> not even when someone's firing missiles at you i don't know it's a computer program i guess it doesn't have to be reasonable <laughs> uh, so she's shouting at it dad no you can't do this and, and back in control room they're like dad she's lost it completely uh, but roths is like eh, i think this is beginning to make sense to me now uh, Jenny's thinking, I should have known the computer program, it's a simulation of dad's personality. He never did trust anyone but himself with his work. Forgive me, dad, for what I have to do. And get to the auxiliary terminal. There's a disk in the drive. Yank it out and do it fast. 
Is that going to kill him? Destroy his form of memory? Yeah, I think they're just taking the thing out. I would have thought just it would re- have... Reboot. Go ahead. Yeah, I would have thought it would have downloaded or something already. Yeah, yeah. If it's all in there, I mean, if you take the disk out and reboot the computer... Um, yeah, yeah. Depending on how persistent the virus is, but it's a lot of heavy lifting for one floppy disk to be doing at this point, right? Like, could you really write an AI on one of those things? Or are they like, you know, fifty megabytes or something? It's like three hundred k, maybe. <laughs> yeah, it's like not a, much. Five, five and three quarter wouldn't even. Yeah, I don't remember how much that is. Yeah, it's been too long. I'm having trouble with our three eighty six computers. Most advanced computers in the CIA. It's a 286. <laughs> yeah, I liked his early the the memory dad's earlier comment is that they had fancier equipment. Well, a lot of times the government doesn't necessarily have the most high tech stuff, but maybe the CIA does, I suppose, or DOD. But anyway, so like you know. I'm bad with names. I didn't write it down and I didn't quite say. Uh, Evan. The, the woman. Oh, Anne. Anne, yeah. Uh, yeah, Anne, get to the terminal. So she she runs and pulls the disc out. Uh, and just as that's happening, the bad guy pilot has somehow cleaned the ink off of his cockpit. Uh, he's like, nice try. You kept me busy for whole minutes. Robot, you're too clever. You've got to die. So it launches the missiles, and then we go into basically what is like a repeat of her training thing. So you got heat-seeking missiles bearing down on the max armor. She's trying to dodge to avoid them, and she says, "You know what was the tech analysis said? Two-dimensional thinking. Okay, let's try working in three. Um, so she kind of does the classic swoops down close to the ground so that the missiles hit. Uh, or no. Oh, no, she's swooping down uh, on top of the airplane that she's going after. So, you know, she's apparently a really, really good pilot to be able to pull this kind of thing off. Uh, but yeah, I can't she... imagine how many G's she has to be pulling to get, to yeah. like get above him. But OK. Yeah, I, I just watched the Top Gun Maverick not too long ago, and like all those maneuvers seem really hard. Like they did a nice job making it like like pulling up, you know, when you're going really fast, like that puts a lot of strain on you, and like people pass out and stuff. But anyway, it's a comic book; it's not a more realistic thing, I guess. But um, so yeah, she basically causes the missiles to strike the experimental plane. So at the last minute, she you know, makes a right right angle turn, leaves her jetpack pointing towards the plane and blows up their one-of-a-kind experimental airplane in a big old skaboom. <laughs> and uh, again, kind of similar to the training mission, you've got you know, her plummeting towards the ground, thrusters deactivated, but this time she's able to pull out of it. So mission blasted, accomplished. <laughs> terrific, just terrific. Um, so I guess the training paid off because she did it better this time. And yeah, so right at the end, um, she's we get a, one last scene of her talking to the computer and says, I don't understand. Um, she said, I, I, that's what happened, dad. I had no choice. It was either him or me. Okay. So one more page, right? That was a lot of action. 
hopefully I described it not too horribly. Um, just imagine a lot of zooming around airplanes and people yelling and cranky computers that won't let you fight, right? Imagine three-dimensional versions of that, yes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, so it says, much later and after the mop-up and debriefing. So she's typing to the computer dad, even though it's not real, it's not him, and tried to kill her. And she says, so that's what happened, dad. I had no choice. It was either him or me. It says, I don't understand. She's typing, of course you don't. You never you never allowed yourself to understand some things. You were too committed to your utopian ideals to ever face certain ugly realities. It says, I'm sorry, I can't condone your decisions. Like This is like the world's best AI written in 87 here. Um, she says, I know, but they're my decisions, and I'm the one who has to live with them. Somehow, I've got to be my own woman now, not Carl Swenson's daughter. Got to do what I have to do, not what I think you'd want me to do. I'm sorry, Dad. And it says, Jen, wait, is the last thing on the computer. And then she hits the delete button. <laughs> this big, giant, clunky load, delete, and run buttons. Um, they usually use the keyboard for that kind of thing, like backslash run or something. <laughs> but so she's walking away. Goodbye, Daddy. <laughs> All right. Well, your daughter has completed her mission to become a CIA stooge. <laughs> Uh, what is going on with the daddy father issues in the uh, new universe um. <laughs> yeah geez but yeah i guess this is her kind of like her moment of independence you know she's she's gonna be this james bond character and even though the government totally lied to her and kidnapped her to bring her on board and her non-violent philosophies had served her fairly well up until this point. Uh, and no letters, Paige. No letters, no. Um, so we do have my favorite Chips Ahoy cookie ad. There's an ad for the new Fantastic Four, which uh, I don't think is anyone's favorite run of that. <laughs> the Thing, The Human Torch, Medusa, and somebody? That's there on the side. Crystal yeah, and Ms. Marvel? Like... Oh, it's Ms. Marvel. Okay. I thought it was Medusa because of the hair. Oh, right, right. And the big M. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, uh, what to say about Codename <laughs> <laughs> Spitfire number? I was honestly, I was really hoping that the Max armor would be like the Knight Rider thing and like her dad would be there always scolding her <laughs> or something or like trying to give advice like the AI program thing. That's a pretty reasonable. Uh, so yeah, you could have, I don't know how realistic, but you had movies like that. Um, oh, is it short circuit? Remember number yeah. five is alive. You, you know, you could do this sort of sort of AI thing and, and, you know, it wouldn't be like everyone saying like, I, this is, you know, a thousand years in the future. There'd be like, yeah, okay, well, five years we'll have that. So, yeah. Um, yeah. That, the, that could have, that could have been a very fun uh, way to go. I mean, yeah. they fire just the missiles, dad. Are you sure you don't want to fire the net bombs? No, the <laughs> missiles, dad. I need the missiles. Mm, how about the foam? Can we shoot the foam? No missiles banging on the control panel okay at least aim for the engines and not the cockpit <laughs> like that actually 
Yeah, I just uh, I was so like depressed after the last couple of issues that I had given up thinking of cool ways to use some of their developments. But that yeah. is cool. Yeah, I I mean it's more that what of what I would have expected on the previews of like oh the the new Max armor is infected with her dad's personality or something. So yeah, that would be good application um you know jenny you can just keep a disc in a drawer you don't have to delete it you know you right <laughs> what? what yeah it was symbolic of her really embracing the violent uh do whatever it takes philosophy of the u.s government so. should have been like kicking a puppy on the way out the door at the bottom of that page <laughs> um i mean i don't know i've i've had questions about her this sort of moral dilemma that they set up with her father back in issue one is like yeah and yet you're working for Kratzi and her industries which is an obviously military based um, contractor or something I don't know there's like really you know my own conflicts perhaps for like well you know during the cold war there was you know you could rationally say this was a um, you know there was some like need for military preparedness or something, but then you're like, from where we're sitting in 2023, it's like, um, you know, people, there, there was like a long period of no, no, um, need for that, you know, in the nineties. Yeah. yeah. And it's, it felt like, hmm, you know, do you need to work for the CIA? Do you need to develop new weapons for these guys? And then the last 20 years where you're just, I don't want to get into what some of the stuff they've used this stuff for, but it's, uh, yeah. So where am I on this? Yeah, it's like, even if I'm sympathetic to them, I'm like, at the time, it really, uh, I don't know, more ambiguous for me. But Yeah, well, there's a lot of interesting, like, story beats you can kind of take with this, I think. Uh in some of the like mobile suit Gundam anime and things like that. Like there's these sort of wars between space colonies and earth and different groups. And, you know, it's not always well done, but like interesting questions about like, you know, do we need a person in the giant robot? Right. Can we just have unmanned, you know, perfect precision, you know, kind of machines doing these kind of battles. And then there's kind of weird ethical implications of that kind of thing too. Uh, unmanned drones and whatnot yeah yeah you can imagine neat directions that yeah we only got one issue left i guess but they're they're really (laughs) setting up hard the all right that we've built this team i think right so it's jenny swenson in in the suit uh which why does she even need to be the pilot of it honestly at this point um and then the, the tech advisor the whatever the heck jake travis does and uh edmund roth the guy you can't quite trust as your leader but well, many yeah. many adventures to follow i'm sure <laughs> i mean i feel like they spend a lot of time developing this team and then we got like nothing with any of the other people this issue it was you know jake had a couple of lines a couple of lines in the conference room from roth the little Tech whiz, uh, Anne, nothing. Yeah, no. I guess this was this was her issue of uh, 
finally rejecting the the peaceful path. I mean, um, I'll be honest, the art was the like sort of action stuff was okay, but the um Jenny herself looked kind of off model. You know what I mean? Yeah, even like panel to panel. Um you know, uh, I don't yeah. think Anne was the one who was making that fake um, tape of Jenny's father, but it would have been funnier if she was like, you know, her, like Jenny's best friend now, but she was the one who was making Roth's lies for her. Yeah. It was probably someone else. Like, A little betrayal there. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. It's an early work by this, uh, by a writer, as, as you say, who went on for a long, you know, well-regarded career so it's a uh, understandably a little rough in in parts um so but i'm kind of torn between the parts where like you've set up a team and like gone in a direction that i wasn't that satisfied with and now you're not even sort of developing that idea any further you're kind of off on a mm-hmm. side tangent i don't know yeah, kind of like Mark Hazard Merck, where they eventually just like finished off all the old fun stuff uh, in an issue. Like they they've been doing that a little. They kind of they just kind of dropped all the old stuff, and then this is kind of the finishing off of the left. All right, the the her father conflict thing is is over now, kind of deal. So yeah, I I don't like the direction. Um, the book was iffy, uh, but a lot of like wacky stuff that just kind of makes it interesting and kind of fun. Um, not cause it's meant to be fun per se, but just dated kind of stuff like the computer, the, you know, the VHS tape of her uh, training mission and all the big clunky buttons and the computer discs and all the old stuff. And that weird, like GI Joe inter- interlude uh, with the, the pilot guy. You get like two two panels of like the the Miller time pilot before he gets killed, and then you know the the villain is just killed. <laughs> so like no, yeah, if, if Miller time guy had been uh, Diaz, the guy from Kickers, I would have quite enjoyed right? that. Right, I think uh, though as as we go along, I'm developing like a love of these weird little like side char- one off characters, like like there just needs to be a some annual with a story that has like big Bridget from the prison and, you know, maybe the ghost of uh, uh, Magna Conti's brother, Steve and, uh, you know, Miller time pilot guy and just all these fun little side characters, maybe Stig from Stig and cool and from Sty Force or something. The, the orphan street tough. Oh uh, yeah. The, um, I don't know the the father. Yeah, he comes off as cold and remote. Um, I'm thinking there's a panel where they start him on page six. Um, this flashback that where he's staring at a painting or a picture over the fireplace. I my my theory is that's her mother, who has otherwise you know never been heard or mentioned in the in the series. So it would make sense if she lost her mother at a very young age and was, you know, raised by her father, who's this cold and, you know, demanding character who also has this, you know, very rigid moral code that he's instilling in her. Yeah. Um, Which is a different from 
I mean, the zero, we didn't have any characterization of him really because he just died in the opening of the first issue. But yeah, they're kind of turning him into like this stern 50s scientist guy who hates the government and doesn't trust them. Yeah. It'd be more fun if he was super abusive, but you know, that's just... yeah, I guess. Yeah, definitely more. Yeah, fun. Come over, Jenny. It's time. No more DOD. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, I mean, yeah. Yeah, they definitely set him up to be less likable than I would have imagined. Yeah, it's, uh, like I say, um, how sympathetic I am. I'm, I'm kind of torn in my own sympathies for the guy's uh, uh, moral code now. Um, I think. Yeah, it, it would be something to either work with or reject completely. And I guess they went with reject completely. Um, yeah. Uh, I don't know. I'll just remember this as like, I 100% expect my daughter to like destroy everything I, I care about at some point after I'm gone. <laughs> as long as she destroys the pictures of you that have the cool hidden stuff, then you're good. There's your right. You could we could leave messages to our kids on VHS tapes, and then they'd have to like struggle to like find something <laughs> to play it back. You know, like go to the dusty basement of the cobwebbed antique store and find a v- find a VCR, bring it to home, only to find out that it's actually a Betamax tape, and they got the wrong device. How is this possible? How did they have two versions of tapes? <laughs> yeah. Oh. Goodness. Uh, you have a. You want to take a grade at a, this? Uh, it's more fun to podcast than it is to read. It's a C to me. I will concur with a C. All um, right, we're we're together on both of these this time. I got a. Uh, it, it fulfills the general shape of a comic book, but it's not very <laughs> joyous to it's read. It's got the correct number of staples. <laughs> everything yeah we should title this we need to title this podcast episode r.i.p all of our hopes and dreams (laughs) it's i mean uh, a little sadder twinge than the sodium pentothal episode (laughs) i mean uh, you know ann policino that like sidekick character last month i was like well, I hope she doesn't like overshadow Jenny and push her out of her own book. And now she's so completely receded into the background. You're like, what's your name again? Yeah, I, yeah, I lost her name too. So, yeah, I think, uh, er, again, early discussions of like, hey, here's the new universe. One cool, interesting, smart, capable female lead character. Let's mess that up and then trash the book. And <laughs> It's impossible that any new universe title would trash the main character any harder than they trashed uh, Jenny Swenson. <laughs> yes, totally. Will never happen in the future. Honestly, I, if they, you know, if they had quit Starbrand and let Spitfire roll with like a cool direction that I enjoyed, like that maybe would have been a nicer choice. Honestly, you know, Shooter's gone. Like Ken Connell's still out there, maybe, but. I mean, yeah, if you, I don't know if we should hit it now, but 
yeah, if you had just said, okay, we don't have enough ideas for star brand or something, we'll just consider, you know, drop it at issue eight, seven or eight. And just, you know, um, he'll, he'll guest star in other books occasionally, but until we got a new mini series of him or something, for some reason, um, it'll just sort of be out there as a rabbit you can pull out of a hat. Uh, yeah. And, and they co- totally could have done the, it's like the Alan Moore, like whatever happened to the man of tomorrow kind of thing where like Superman just retires and like, he's just going to live with Lois now and, you know, okay. Ken and Duck make the fans happy. They're just chilling in Pittsburgh. Would not be unhappy with that at all. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I gotta say, I mean, Spitfire had several things that sort of set it apart from the other books. And so, yeah, it's a shame to lose the one book that's um, not a paranormal, not um, like a powers. It's like her and technology. And I think I read before like a role-playing games, you know, list of like the different backgrounds of characters. And she's the only like technological character. Yeah. Um, and yeah, having... Something so many neat things you could do with it too like like we did we didn't really get the new universe more realistic version of like person in flying robot armor you know we're we're, we're trending more towards like the cartoonish version of all of that whereas like you know if she if she was getting banged around and didn't want to pilot it anymore and you know the repercussions of taking this thing into combat kind of thing yeah let roadie be iron man for a while maybe you know tony's broken his leg and can't go out you know i mean right yeah so anyway maybe we save some of the stuff for the recap and yeah well we're not too far off from a recap uh, episode or special coming up soon so yeah so we'll call it for this episode and then uh, next time we will be looking at oh night mask number 12 the soul searing truth of night masks friend dr lucina ballad revealed <laughs> at last sorry that's what it said in the <laughs> other evil twin sister lucina <laughs> um could happen but will the revelation seal night masks doom Voodoo in Haiti is written by Roy and Dan Thomas, penciled by Mark Bagley and inked by Tony DeZuniga. Or Night Mask number 12, The End of Voodoo. Man, forever. No more voodoo. Your religion is gone. <laughs> uh, We've just proven it at last. Okay. I, I'm, I'm curious to see if my soul gets seared in reading that issue. Um, but yes, and then I'm, I've got Force number 12. Stasi joins a cult. Not a voodoo cult, I don't think. Uh, joins a cult that lets her use her powers for the common good. But is there a darker purpose to the cult that she doesn't see? A purpose that not even her fellow Psy Force members can protect her from? The Candyman is written by Rosemary McCormick Lowry, penciled by Bob Hall, inked by Al Williamson. Okay, yeah, now I'm interested. What is going on in that issue? Um <laughs> The short version, Stasi's faith healing power brings her into contact with a religious cult. Right. Finally. Kudos to the longer version. That's got me curious. Um, but yeah, so tune in next time for that soul searing truth. Uh, find out what's going on in Night Mask number 12. And uh, in the meantime, kickersinc.com, 
Uh, hit us up with an email, newuniversepodcast at gmail.com. Uh, especially if you want to give us a new universe podcast slogan, we'd love to hear it. And uh, until next time, we'll see you back at the spinner rack. And don't throw out the duck. Don't throw out the duck.